On the north side of Chicago It's the coolest bar in town And if you go up there You better just beware You're gonna find a bunch of clowns It's a mad, mad, crazy bar The whole damn place is just so bizarre Full of all the vice and sin where do we even begin? Tip your bartenders. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of As Ale House Turns. This is Pub Crawl Liz. And this is the genius. Uh, I can't believe this is, we've done this 26, dumb show 26 times. 26 times. Uh, yeah. What do you mean dumb show? You know, sir, I don't need that negativity oh, to start God. off. Listen, it, okay, I shouldn't say dumb, you're right. No, you shouldn't. It, it's just, I, I've been actually traveling recently, and I've had the time to listen to a few of these episodes, and I'm just... You're in awe, just like any normal person would be. It's just amazing to me sometimes. Yeah. Um, we have a special guest today, um, and I'm pretty excited because I've been wanting this guest since... The minute we conceived of the podcast, he's a good friend to you, a good friend to me, uh, and I would like to introduce everyone to Rick Kogan. Hi, Rick. Well, it's more than it's more than good friends, though. I even adore adore the two of you. I really consider myself the official biographer of each one of you individually. When I look back at the stories I've written over the years, I've reviewed and written about every book Bruce has ever written. I have written about so many adventures of yours, Liz, that it is a real thrill and honor for me to finally be on this podcast. And you mentioned, Bruce, 26 episodes? Yep. The Red Orchid Theater, right around the corner from here, is celebrating its 26th year. Boy, that's, oh, wow. You know, that's really amazing. They Whoa. started out with Guy and uh, and Michael Shannon just started out from... Uh, Michael Shannon said he originally he was sleeping in there and he was uh, cleaning <laughs> the I think floors. That's, why, that's why they started the thing. They needed a place to sleep. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's really an amazing story. That yeah. place. Beck, you didn't you have Kirsten, their artistic director? She was on the radio Sunday because radio. for some incredibly stupid... I've never missed... A Sunday radio show, which is hard to believe on, on WGN, short of uh, being in jail or whatever problem I might have had. And this coming Sunday, they are, uh, whatever date this coming Sunday will be when this podcast is on, they're like giving, they're honoring me. And I said, Kirsten, she was on my show, I said, why, what is the matter with you people? You're honoring me for what? And they said, well, you know, Rick, you're like from Old Town, and you, you've written about a lot of stuff here. I love Red Orchid. I know you do too, Bruce. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and we love their we love their patrons. We too. do. They're they're great. But they're great. Rick, Rick Rick mentions his radio show. Well, um, Rick has a great radio show every Sunday. What what give us the times? It doesn't matter. This is people should be listening to pod podcasts no, are the future. No, no, no. We got uh, plug your nine, goddamn it's from, show. It's from nine to eleven every Sunday on, on night WGN. on WGN. Now, and you both have been guests frequently. You have been a guest 
a lot, Bruce Elliott. Well, I, the show I loved that Rick had was oh. he had the afternoon drive show at WB. Now yeah, these, that was a good one. Let me just say, the people at the public radio station this town <laughs> are the biggest collection of assholes that ever walked the face of the fucking earth. These are, what numbskulls. And so when, when, when now they, they're looking, I mean, he's, I know everybody was coming in, the, in here, all the old-timers were saying, wow, that was great. Everybody was listening to Rick's show. And then these assholes, guess what they, and I hear Justin Kaufman says, well, we're looking for a younger demographic. Fuck your younger, younger demographic. It was a good show. Now listen to that shit that yeah, they I have. Don't, I don't Holy think they Christ. quite understood what kind of treasure well, they had with Rick. Well, but one of the great, great WBZ shows we ever had was the live show we did oh, right in the yeah. back of this place. Where who knew that Paul Krugman was such a celebrity? That Paul or, or, Krugman, nor did we know he was on the spectrum. <laughs> even knew, and who knew who Paul Krugman even was? Oh no, I believe. Oh, I'm, I know. But people are coming up. Can I have yeah. your autograph? Can I have yeah. your autograph? Then we had on that very same show. It was you and Shirley Bauer, who's a well, sort of Andrew, de facto historian of old time. Yeah. Andrew Alexander. Really are. Andrew Alexander making excuses for why Second City has become a factory rather than a <laughs> yeah. comedy club. A very uh, lucrative factory. But also on that show, there was that incredible who sat there and said, told us about, and I can't even do her justice, but it was like, uh, you have been a victim. I asked. You have been a victim of violence in Chicago, and she's like, "Well, yes, I had four children shot and killed in the space of two months, and I almost fell off my chair." What? Who yeah. is this? Oh, yeah. No, there was there. Oh. there um, yeah, I mean, it was like right in the middle of one of the really big shooting sprees yeah. on the south yeah. side. Jesus. And she had, she, she, they were picking off one of her kids about every yeah. couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it was astonishing. I couldn't deal with it. Of course, afterwards, she was hitting people up for $20 bills, so. <laughs> yes, and Rick Hogan being the softest touch in America, I walked out of here with no money for cab fare. Well, listen, Rick, I've yeah. uh, been a longtime admirer of oh, you likewise, as, a, as a human um, in awe of your career. Uh, you know, when people, when I start talking about anything about Chicago and journalism, you're the first name that pops into my head. Um, and I think you and I have, have bonded and connected also because we have a lot of things in common. And one of them is that old town connection. No so, question. No question. I grew up here, uh, I would hazard to say, a few Right around the corner. A few, yeah, in a few years before you grew up here. But this was the most. I know other neighborhoods in Chicago, and I'm sure it would have been nice in the day to grow up in a neighborhood like Roseland or in a neighborhood like Rogers Park or in a neighborhood like Wrigleyville before it was called Wrigleyville. Uh, I, I feel in some ways blessed to have grown up in Old Town when I did. Which well, was especially the, the 50s period. and 60s. Yes. Oh. oh, my God. Everything was happening here. Everything, Everything. was happening. You're right, Bruce. You, had, you were here, too. Yeah. Well, I was here in 61. But you had the counterculture shit going on wild. You had artists and writers and poets and all that. But you also had the Muscle Outfit Boys and the Farinas and all these really badass Oh my God! Seriously, badass. You yeah. also had the legendary Patty Bauer. If I can tell you oh one quick story, <laughs> Patty, his grandson Ty, was my best friend growing up. 
Patty was an alderman. Patty right. was the alderman of the 40s. He was the alderman that said Chicago the, ain't ready for reform. He had a little joint right down on this side right of the, the street at 403 West North Avenue that looked like it was a bar with a room behind, and the bar was all decorated with these weird pieces of artwork that he would bring back from Hong Kong. And I remember Ty and I would go over there relatively frequently, like once a week and go, and Ty would say, uh, hi, Grandpa, and, and Patty admired my dad because he wrote books about Chicago history. He goes, is this the Kogan boy? <laughs> yes, it is, Grandpa. Here, take $5, go to John Merlo's ice cream parlor down the street. <laughs> but my father tells the ultimate Patty Baller story that one day he is in Patty's place. And again, Patty admired my father tremendously because my father knew Chicago history. And Patty, oh, did he ever? And Patty thought he was part of Chicago history. So one day my father's in there, and Patty, who used to take these extraordinary foreign trips, a lot to Germany, I, I'm a, an lot, alderman's salary. a lot to, a <laughs> lot to Hong Kong. That is so perfect, Bruce. Herm, why don't you, I want to tell Mary Lou and the boys, you can leave the boys for a few minutes. You come to Germany with me. I'm going to Germany for just four days. It'll be great. My father's like, no, Patty, I, I really I can't. I, you know, too much work, uh, the kids. No, no, Herm, they treat me like a prince there. We'll go to Munich, and they, we get free beer, and we, they, all the beer halls are open, and they treat me like, like I'm a king there. And my father is, no, Patty, I really can't. My father's making excuse after excuse after excuse until after about 20 minutes of this nonsense, my father finally tells Patty the truth. He says, you know, look, Patty, I am Jewish, and I am not about to go with you and have beers in the very beer halls where Hitler formed the Nazi party. And my father said that Patty got this kind of really incredulous look on his face. And he paused for a couple minutes, actually, and finally said to my father, Geez, Herm, can't you let bygones be bygones? <laughs> well, and, and this is really important to notice about, about Patty Baller. By simply calling himself Patty, his, yes. name, his name is Matthias, right? Matthias Baller. This whole goddamn, before they went in the street, <laughs> yeah. was one German bar after another. They cry when they see the old German movies on these bars when the Germans would be losing. Now, Patty Bauer is the most German guy that ever walked down the street. But the morons in this city, his name is Patty, so he's Irish, right? Yeah, Patty Bauer, the Irish, the Irish uh, kraut. Yeah, it was, it was. You told me a story once about Patty where he literally just dropped his pants in the no, bar. No, I, 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 well, I used to when when Earl of Old Town. Fit, uh, did a, got did this a favor. I wrote about this in my in, um, portrait of the genius young man. Earl does us a favor, fixes up with the abortionist on the south side. So we thank him. Then he says, "Hey, what do you do for me?" So he gives me a list. I got to vote for seven in seven precincts, and so I was tight with him for a while. I was going around voting all day for his candidates. Um, but I walked over there one day. Because I could get girls' jobs at the zoo through Patty Baller. He whips out his dick and pisses on the floor. The guy runs out and mops it up and just keeps talking. Gross. No, that was Patty. How long did he, how, how long was he an alderman for? That's a really good question. He was an alderman during Anton Cermak's oh. tenure, so I, at least for at least 30 years. Because what he used to do 
Patty, even when he was a young alderman, and my father has told me all these stories, I'm sure they're in various books, that he used to amuse Anton Cermak, which says something about Cermak's sense of humor, by hugging him. Patty was a large man. He would hug himself and then roll around on the floor as if he was wrestling in himself. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's really funny. So I would say from the early 30s into the 60s, because he finally wind up, wound up losing to uh, Bill... No, was it, no, it wasn't Bill Singer. It was John McCutcheon. Well, well he, remember he gave up. He, he, let, he allowed a bidding to, for Earl, uh, Earl and Schmitz, Butcher Shop, and those guys all were told... Earl thought he was going to get the alderman. Patty was going to keep. <laughs> that would have been something. Patty was going to keep the committeeman job. Right. But he was right, going to right. sell the alderman's job. To Earl. Well, oh, no, oh. he told he told Schmidt. And, uh, you'll remember He this probably now. told everybody. Well, he told them all to bring an envelope. And he'd open the envelope, and the biggest envelope would get to be. <laughs> that's how he. And Earl was furious. After all, I did. Well, guess what happens? Some Italian guy, I forget what his name was, he shows up. Nobody even knows who the guy is. He's got the biggest envelope. Somebody does an expose in the papers and finds out that the guy got kicked out of the army, a dishonorable discharge for rape or something. So Mrs. Daly sees this on the eve of the election, practically. And as a result, a Republican named McCutcheon, his father was the cartoonist from the yes, Tribune. Yes, and McCutcheon himself was a teacher at, at Parker. Parker, and he gets caught. No, no sooner is he elected. Thank you, Bruce Elliott, for knowing this story. As, as Go soon, ahead. As soon as he got, I'm I, John McHugh was over, was a reporter in the old days. City News would Great have a guy. reporter over in uh, Chicago Avenue Police Station, and so. He's, he's in there one night. All of a sudden, they march him with McCutcheon, the new alderman. Two cops have him. And that sergeant says, well, hello, alderman. And two cops go, whoa, whoa, what, what? He kind of, they pick him up with a hooker, <laughs> getting his joint sucked over on Halstead Street. In a, in a, the great thing about it, which always got me, is in a old-fashioned, uh, I don't even know what they, station wagon. He was in the back of oh, the station wood, wagon, Woody? Oh, Woody. and he said he was doing research about the prostitution, prostitution problem. Yeah. In the- research. And the black hooker became real famous for a little while. <laughs> so, I mean, Rick, you've, yes, you've covered so many stories, and I want to talk about your career. And I also want to no, talk about... No, this is much more fun. I want to talk about your dad, <laughs> well, too. Because no, let's sure. talk about his dad first. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. I have a direct right. question to what we're talking about. Um, I, I mean, yes, just dear. with your own with your own work and your career, and then you know, learning from your dad uh, and his journalist uh, career and um, his work in history and writing books about history. You know Chicago unlike any other person I know. Well, but you you know you yourself are a a talented talented historian, but I, I never studied. Never having gone to college, but that's another. That's for the one hundred. <laughs> that made that made Pop the, very proud. <laughs> that that oh yeah oh yeah that was a moment. That's for the one hundred ninety fifth uh, podcast. But I never studied academically. But the the great thing about my dad is it was kind of imbued in me by just being well, around I had him. To. I mean, my God. Well, you read his books, right? You read his well, I books. Did, of course I did, yeah. but also, Bruce, you know, we'd be on, you know, I'd be five years old walking across the Michigan Avenue Bridge, and he would say, like, do you know who lived? I'm five. 
do you know who lived there? I go, no, Dad, no, who lived there? Because well, that was a man named Jean Dusable, and he was the first uh, resident of Chicago, and he was a black man. I go, okay, fine. Then we'd be down at the University of Chicago, and he'd go, do you know what used to be here? Do you know what used to be here? And this is as a very young kid. There was a huge, and the first Ferris wheel was here. So I got this, Liz, in a, in a sort of really organic kind of way, which really, it would be like, you know, I guess if I had been 14 and, you know, got to kiss Elizabeth Taylor on the lips, it would like make me an incredible fan of love and Elizabeth Taylor movies. But it was imbued in me at a very, very young age. And that that is what sparked the passion that you're talking about, Bruce. And then when I was older, I could read his remarkable, I think, books about yeah. Chicago history. When I, when One of I, my favorite books of your dad's is Lords of the Levy. Oh, oh. Right. Hanky Dean Cannon and yeah. Bathhouse John Coughlin. Oh. When I was at the University of California, I was just walking through the... And they put in the bookstore the books for different classes. They just walking by in this... Uh, a guy named Alan Temko was an architecture sure. critic. He had a course. But I looked at these books, and there were a couple of, of um, Herm Kogan's, but it was all about Chicago. And I thought, Jesus Christ, I just came from Chicago. <coughs> so I took this class. And, um, yeah, yeah, in fact, Temko was friends with, or knew your dad anyway. He knew him. Sure. Uh, and uh, it was really, <laughs> so I read all of, ended up reading all of Herm Coben and his uh, colleague, he did. Lloyd uh, Went. Lloyd Went. Lloyd Went. They did some wonderful, uh, they did Mar- wonderful books so that was Mar- He did the Marshall Field one with Lloyd, too, right? They they wrote the history of Marshall Field called "Give the Lady What She Wants," which was a yeah. which was a phrase of the Marshall Field the first. And uh, Lloyd was an amazing guy. Lloyd and my father were they started writing these books when they were young, rewrite men, which is a phrase that doesn't exist in newspapers anymore. When you would have uh, drunken and sometimes sober reporters phoning in a story, and the rewrite men were the smart guys, the guys who went to college. They could sit there and take this stuff from the guys, phoning it in, and they would write the story. And my father and Lloyd meant in those days and wrote Big Bill of Chicago about uh, Bill Thompson. Yeah. So, uh, Big Bill the Builder. What, yeah. where, so tell us a little bit about your dad and his background. Like, where Was he born in Chicago? Did oh, he... absolutely. He was a kid from Humboldt Park where his... Uh, it's funny you mentioned that, Liz. His younger brother, Bernard, they were Jewish kids. You know, his parents were immigrants, my grandparents. And my grandfather, who had a job as a, a relatively good job in Russia for a Jew, uh, came here and could not use his college degree in any way, so wound up. But in a wonderful fashion for me, wound up running a newsstand in Humboldt Park. He sold he sold newspapers and their dream was for their kids to have the ultimate American Excuse dream. me. Rock and Roll Ruth wants to know what what what's your drink again? That would be Jim Beam on the Rocks, Ruth. It's it's actually in many bars a legendary drink for me, sadly. It's yes, called I, the Kogan. I, I've never seen I, I yeah, I, I believe it. He's yes, had many yes. of these over the years, I've observed. I have. I, I, you both have observed. So, you know, they wanted the best for their kids. And so my father and his younger brother, Bernard, who everybody called... Here's a great story. 
I don't mean to interrupt your podcast you with this. Whatever. Oh, we're great. We Seymour Hirsch, Cy Hirsch, the yeah, great Cy investigative Hirsch. reporter. He's just, still going. Yes, and he's just published his biography. And in his biography, I was so, I met him only once, but I was so thrilled that he mentioned my uncle, Bernard, my father's younger brother, who served in the Navy, who wrote, he was an expert on two things in this great Jewish intellectual way. He was a Charles Dickens scholar and Liz Garibay, for you, a Haymarket riot scholar. He wrote books about Dickens and the Haymarket, and Cy Hirsch, in his new book, his biography, he also taught English at Navy University of Illinois when it was at Navy Navy And what he says about my uncle made me cry. Wow. Those are two of my favorite topics. Yeah, they, I, I, yes. Dickens and Haymarket. I, I became a Marxist uh, after taking a introductory research paper uh, at Roosevelt University my freshman year. We had to take, a, and after we had this Australian named Mr. Uh, Professor Tulip, and he had us do research on the Haymarket. At least twelve of us were absolute uh, avowed Marxists at the end of the course. It was. Uh, Oh, what, it was fascinating. Yeah, you know, there, one of the great that things would be a about great you, movie. Bruce, that would be a great movie. I may be the loyalist listener to this podcast that you have ever had well, on we this encourage podcast. It. We encourage yes, it. and I think all of you people listening should uh, sign in. Uh, your thoughts about Roosevelt have been really, really interesting to me. Well, at the time... Because people the forget... Beginning. Thank you, Ruth. People forget what Roosevelt was oh, and why God. it was started. Amazing. And, amazing yeah, story. I know. Um, okay, so your dad um, grows up in Humble Park, and how yes. does he start his career? Well, and I'm going to backtrack a bit. When I had to tell my father uh, that I did not think that I would learn anything in college, and that I thought <laughs> I should take a break to drive a checker cab out of the old checker garage. Right. Checker means courtesy. Remember where it was? Oh, I worked there. Is that North Avenue? Oh, yeah. It was right on North Park, right, right around the corner. Oh, really? They it's now all condos. It was right the, next to an out. Tony Gula's books bu- bookie. The guy in charge of the right garage there. was named Cupie, uh, and I drove a cab there. But I had to tell my father that I thought I needed a break from college. But and Tom, Tom Golick wasn't the manager then. No. Oh no! Boy, was that? Were we're they different eras? We're different eras. Oh, we're did different you? Eras. Yeah, we, yeah, I believe we were. In <laughs> some way, in some way. Oh no, we're no, no, eras, no! Not like think about did it. Did you actually start college? I did. I went to uh, Circle Campus for two weeks, where my uncle Bernard, the aforementioned Bernard, was head of the English department, and I, I, I walked into a class of three hundred and fifty people, and. The teacher, a very nice woman, whose name I remember, Mrs. Chesterton, said, we'll all be reading the Red Badge of Courage, which I'd read like five years before, and it was too big. I had real and, culture and shock. And Stephen Crane was not that great either. It was okay. That's right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was no right. big deal. So I went to tell my father, knowing full well, and you get back to my father, that this kid, this kid graduated from Schur's High School. That well, that was yeah. kind of that, that was a big deal. That beautiful graduating from high school was a big deal for this family, and that beautiful high school on the, on the northwest side. 
and he enrolled uh, for a modest fee at the University of Chicago. And he commuted from, they were then living, my family, in Rogers Park. So that's two hours. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, it may have been worse. It, it yeah. makes, you know, whatever that famous walk that Abraham Lincoln took in his bare feet, <laughs> the hell with him. That's nothing, nothing compared with modern times. He, when my father, he said, well, why don't you think you're going to learn anything at college? I said, well, Dad, I learned a lot of this in high school, and he's sitting there. It, it is. It has become more resonant the older I get. And he says, okay, he didn't say, I did this, I did that. But he, UFC, he went to the University of Chicago during the famous Robert Maynard Hutchins years. And the boy, boy wonder who got rid yes, of football. Traveling back and forth from Rogers Park and working from midnight to eight for the city news bureau, the famous training ground in the 30s, in the 1930s, where you have to go to every police station in the city. You know, and I'm thinking of my dad as this, you know, he became a Marine later, but he's a nerdy little Jewish guy with glasses (laughs) saying, Hello, could you tell me who killed who? <laughs> uh, it, it is, I, I am in many ways. I mean, ways that's where all the great journalists came out of City News. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, really, no that was just, in fact, I'll, I'll, you could really kind of, there was a pecking order in Chicago, and, and McHugh brought me down to the Billy Goat, right? Five, what, what, what did it come down to? About 64, 5, something like that? Yeah, 3, 4, 5. That's yeah, that's four, probably, five. R- roughly when. And so, hey, come on down there. And I walked down the stairs, and Billy Goat Sienis, who was head up before Sam, hits me over the head with this plastic <laughs> hammer. And that crazy hammer. That, that was how, I'm going, what the fuck is this? So anyway, but you look at the bar, and here's the pecking order. I mean, Royco, I mean, I, I mean to me, Royco was, you just couldn't Agreed. get any higher. I mean, but a real Agreed. prick, a real prick, but what talent. <laughs> Amazing talent. Well, that wasn't my relationship with him, but I, well, I, I, yeah, because you could be you're Herm Kogan's kid. That is a fact, and, Bruce and, Elliott. And, and that I was, is a fact. And I was a bit mouthy, but anyway, anyway uh, Herm Kogan. You sit there, studs, Nelson Algren, Royko, Herm Kogan. Nobody. Royko deferred to no one except for Herm Kogan. And Elston Algren. Maybe he would be a little deferential to yeah. studs. A little. But just, about that was, you could tell, whoa, this is a big deal. Okay, so yeah. how does your dad go from graduating from UFC to really sort of becoming this iconic figure in Chicago journalism? Well, he went to uh, the Chicago Tribune in the late 30s and worked as a, as I said, as a rewrite man with Lloyd Wendt. And then uh, he decided, he's a little old for it at the time, but he decided that he needed to fight the Nazis because the Nazis were killing Jews. And so he enlisted in the Marine Corps and went to Paris Island and went through basic training well, I didn't know that. Oh, oh there's I an aside. I know. I yeah. know. You know, I, I don't... I, I'll tell you, I, I'll, I'll interrupt this story for one thing. 
J. Robert Nash is one of the most interesting <laughs> characters that Bruce without and I, doubt, without that doubt, Bruce and I have ever known. And J. Robert Nash, who is still alive, you has said tell some unfucking believably crazy things to me for about ten years. Whenever I would see him here or at O'Rourke's, he would say, and I always blew it off. He would always say, "I'd go, I'd walk up and say, Jay, Rick Cogan, and he'd go." I know who you are. <laughs> You're not half the man your father was. <laughs> and, and I thought that was just because he admired my father, but he, I swear to God to you, Bruce, he was right. I am not half well, the man I my father. I'm telling you. So Herman went to Herman. Uh, well, tell, tell the story about how Herman first met Nash. That's oh a great God, story. That, well, as long as this podcast is like all podcasts are never-ending, I'll be happy to tell the story. No problem. My father is on the back porch in our apartment in Old Town. He's typing a book, and he always worked at home. He didn't have some special office. He may have been. It couldn't have been Lords of the Levy. I'm not sure what book it was. And all of a sudden, in the courtyard behind, between the townhouses on Crilly and our part places on North Park, he hears the voice go, I hear the sound of a typewriter. There's a writer in the neighborhood. And my father, in his typical way, would totally ignore something like that. The next thing you know, there is Jay peeking around the back porch. You're typing. You must be a writer. And my father goes, yes, I am, and I'm working on something. Could you please go away? I don't, sh- I don't think you understand I'm J. Robert Nash, and I've just arrived here. I'm going to set Chicago on its ear. <laughs> my father, who actually knew Ben Hecht and knew the all, people. These are all Nash's idols, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no kidding. Yeah. He wound up being kind of, you know, Bruce, you know this, too. Liz, I don't know if you've ever met Jay, but it, for all of his, his bombast and, and eccentricities, it's hard to like him on some e- level. Ebert had maybe a thousand great Nash stories. No kidding. And Nash pulled one of his typical asshole stunts because he's just J. J- Robert Nash. And um, he, he got into a war with, with Roger just before while he was doing his memoir. And so Roger couldn't. He says, you. He, Roger, sent me, Roger sent me the email. And it was, if you write one word about me, buddy boy, I will sue you for everything you have. Now, this is because Roger returned him down on a loan. So he didn't get to those stories. And if, when Roger died, Nash would have been all over in the movie. Oh, yeah. Nash fucked it up. I mean, but that's Jay. I mean, just. I've never met Jay, but oh, listening so to sorry. you, I've oh. heard so many stories. Oh, I would love to have him I love that. I do feel on. like. My God, that would be like eight podcasts in a row. I never tell you, I, Dillinger is not dead. He's 115 years old and he lives in Indianapolis. Yeah. No, no, it was Texas. He had him in Texas oh. the last time we yeah. talked. Because everybody. <laughs> last, last time we talked. Ebert, yeah. Ebert was, because he'd made his bones on this whole idea that Dillinger was alive. And so one night, nobody ever thought to ask him. One night we're all in O'Rourke's. And Ebert says, Hey, Nash, did you ever meet John Dillinger? He says, yes, one time. Well, yeah, we're all, now we're all ears here. Yeah, we're all listening. He says, yes, I was in Texas. I drove up to his house. I knocked at the door. 
Yes, yes, what happened? I said, John Dillinger. And then Eber says, well, what did he say? J. Robert Nash. That is one of the great, that is one of the great so I don't know if it's a story about Chicago literature or journalism or what it is, but that's such a great oh. story. Oh, I, I mean, Roger could listen. I mean, Roger could spend, when he quit drinking, he could spend a whole night just telling Nash stories. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. He no wrote kidding. a bunch of books, didn't he? Oh, 70. 70? Well, he made, 70. J. made. Uh, a small fortune at one time uh, from a book called Blood Letters and Bad, Bad Men. Men. It was a... Jay was the first... Do you know what he was, Bruce? He was the first aggregator, which is a term everybody uses about things on the internet, like pulling stuff from this place. He was a genius researcher with the help of a guy named Jim Agnew. Jim Agnew. Well, and, and when he did the Encyclopedia of Crime, mm. which uh, Toby had just had Gracie, and Nash had just had his little kid JJ, so he had Mike too. No computers. They've got. He's got this yeah. townhouse. He's yeah. renting over on Sheridan Road next to the one he lived in. He's got kids from Columbia College. Toby, his wife, uh, Mike Tui was the only Mike person. Mike Tui was his. Mike yeah. Tui was the only person that could be in the same room with him, and they just sit there and chain smoke about you know <laughs> hundreds of cigarettes by an hour, and just and she call him hey. Fuck you, motherfucker. You know, they just keep going. I mean, there was no problem. <laughs> he he creates this encyclopedia without computers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, That's it was, impressive. It, it was like building the no, goddamn pyramid. It really, it really was Yeah, something. nobody could do it. Now, factually incorrect, <laughs> but it's still... It, and then well, he made he made a couple million on that too. Well, and he also collected millions of photos. I mean, yeah, he's got something. Going. Liz, I'm sorry I, you never got to meet him. Maybe maybe we will. Maybe, maybe I will. will. I think it's unlikely, but hey, Jay. But I will say, I'm whenever, willing to I'm willing to forgive him. Whenever for the three of us do get together, Jay Robert Nash rears his head always. I've, it's fascinating. Uh, that's true. It's fascinating. No, no, that's right. No, it is fascinating. He is one of. He is one of, and I know Bruce will agree with this. He is, Bruce and I have known Bruce many more than I, but uh, there's some incredible kind of tavern characters in this life and this world that we've lived. J. Robert Nash is right oh, he's up there. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. I, I told Bourdain, I said, boy, I'd love... I mean, he, you, he, Bourdain would just love him. I mean, just love him. Uh, no question. Yeah. He would have become like Anthony Bourdain's Sancho Ponzi. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he really would have. Oh, he could have gone. They could have gone talk to Dillinger <laughs> they, together. They'd be doing <laughs> some kind of show. I miss him, Bruce. Yeah. He introduced me to him. Well, and, uh, yeah. And I've, I've, I've heard your shows and your podcasts about him. And yeah, that was. Uh, well, that, that just tells you guy. the power of the wrong pussy. That's that's the yeah. moral. No, you've articulated that. I think uh, we've all experienced that. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, yes, we have. Yes. What? <laughs> the power of the wrong pussy. Um, yes. She just broke up with the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, See, if you don't just... read Bruce Elliott's blog, uh, Geriatric <laughs> Genius, yeah, don't miss you, it. Are really, good. you are really missing out on something. Yeah. He has some, sometimes Liz fills in sometimes, and there are others. But, guest, uh, guest bloggers. Yeah, Bruce, is, Bruce is nothing but frank and honest in there. Candid. If you listen to this podcast, that you, you know, it, he's he doesn't give a shit. What are you talking about? You just lay it out the way you 
feel. Are you kidding? You I soft coat so many things. I'm, I'm so careful. No, you're not. Oh, bullshit. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you don't. Oh, if I could. Oh, if I oh. Maybe for me, which Unleash I me. appreciate. Unleash me sometime. <laughs> yeah. Back he, to Rick. I, he's pretty good. I, I must tell you. He's, I mean, I, it's and very entertaining. He's, He's a good. He's a. He's a good. He's a. He's a marshmallow. We say he's a marshmallow. marshmallow. He's also uh, the other thing about Bruce. Both of you. One of the things I admire about both of you, and you know, I both adore you, is you're both really good storytellers. And storytelling is a, to my mind, an incredibly vanishing, endangered art because you cannot tell a story. In 140 characters on Twitter, you cannot... Nobody I know even talks on the... I was at the office today, and I answered my phone. And someone said, uh, I can't believe you answered uh, your phone. <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know who you are, but did you call me? <laughs> I did. And I said, well, why do you not believe... Well, nobody answers their phone. What you're doing here in this kind of, I don't want to call, go, drive down, I've done the old Herb Cups in it show, the lively art of I love that. So did the, I. The original, when there was no time limit, just go oh, on. I know. When the cup would say, I am sitting here with, next to me is the famous actress Mamie Van Doren, and across from me, Albert Einstein. Mamie, what would you like to know about Albert no. Einstein? And she'd go, your hair is white. Uh, I, I, I'm not even... Oh, it was amazing. Oh, you have Lenny Bruce on and then Edwin Teller at the same show. Happy Chandler. I mean, it, it, you, it was the most bizarre combination of people. Was your and father ever... Did you ever have your dad on? Sure. Yeah? Oh, sure. One of the great things I meant to mention to you earlier on, you were talking about Studs and Royko and Herman sitting together. There, there's a Studs Turkle archive uh, available through, I don't know, WFMT or something. The one that haunts me forever that I listen to maybe once a month is in 1967 on the uh, occasion of the publication of Studs' first best-selling book, Division Street. Of course, you would know this. My dad, and who was Studs' best friend, and Mike Royko hijacked his show. It is one of the most, it's not as good as this podcast, but it's an astonishing moment in radio history where my dad, in his very, he knows Stud so well, it, it is the quietest I have ever heard Roy go. Herman is like, my dad is like, we have taken over this show in honor of our dear friend Stud Circle. And Stud does virtually nothing but giggle throughout the whole show. It's an astonishing moment. Stud, some, when, when Studs died, he used to come on. The only time he'd come in the Alice was about once a year on Hank Ettinger, this old-time commie oh, buddy of his. great. And Hank, Hank was a good friend of, of Studs, and Studs kind of looked after him. And he'd come in and give him a check every year on his birthday yeah. for 1000 bucks. So that was So anyway, some girl, young girl, I think it was one of her, just started with the NPR. And she came down here and wanted to interview me about Studs. Well, I'd only st talked to studs maybe five or six times in a bar. You know, you was sitting next sure. to a bar stool with them, and, and I had, you know. But, and I also had my cab one time. I picked up my cab. And um, 
probably coming from your house because it was on New Year's Eve, and I picked up uh, Ida and him. Uh, Could be, yeah. 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 So, but, but anyway, um, so she was saying, I said, well, you know, Studge was an amazing guy, politically just solid. I remember his old TV show, Studge Place, before they, yeah. they yeah. red-scared him out of that. And uh, I said he was a very entertaining guy, but I tell you what. You sit on a bar stool with them for more than an hour. You want to take a hand grenade and throw it down his throat. Well, they, they got pissed off. So, um, so yes, the great listener, yeah, you knew yeah, him. But 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 the, here's the irony: e- Ebert 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 throws the 60th uh, his 60th birthday. Were you on that the the boat? Uh, he rented the boat. Chaz rented the boat to celebrate. Roger's 60th birthday, so... Yeah, right, 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 right. Crazy collection of people were all on this goddamn boat. Well, Nash shows up. Studs comes in. Now, Stud can't hear really well at this point. Yeah. And um, so, he's, Stud sits kind of in the back of the boat. I'm up in the front of the boat, like, terrorizing Paul Galloway's girlfriend, stuff like that. And it was just classic, crazy people. Nash gets Studs. In the corner of the boat and doesn't let up. It's a whole boat trip. It's like a two, three hour boat trip. Nashville never gave Southern breaks. He just paid for every sin he ever committed. <laughs> but the great thing about Studs is he literally would have just sat there, nodded his head at Jay going, You're not half the horrible historian that Horace was. You're not half. Well, he would have told him that. That's what he would have told him. Oh, and I'm man. sorry I wasn't there. I, I have to tell a Herm Kogan story. That I, 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 when I, I never really got to know Herm very well until shortly before he died. Out at Ebert, Ebert was living in... Um, uh, Harvard. No, this was before Harvard. Wow, New yeah, Buffalo. This was in uh, New Buffalo. Uh, New Buffalo. Yeah. yeah, in the house over by Redamax. Oh, yeah, Redamax. So um, he, he was... Um, what what are you you're making all these signals? I'm trying to tell I'm trying to tell a story. I'm just signaling to Ruth, who's about to get us beverages. Well, I just say, Ruth, get me a beverage instead of distracting We're me. We're smooth and seamless. Anyway, Ebert throws a New Year's Eve party. Now this is when he's in AA. It's all AA out there. Toby and I are living over in um, Benton Harbor, St. Joe at the time. It was a couple years ago up there when we were up there. So Ebert invites me down. Well, I know it's all AA, so I bring a couple six packs of beer. I well, put them outside. I yeah. put them outside the door. <laughs> well, uh, Ingrid Ing, also who's oh, Roger's, Roger's sure, girlfriend sure, at the time, boy, sure. she fucked that one up. But anyway, <laughs> she's drinking. So there's only two people in the whole whole party drinking. But did you guys have the drink in secret? Yeah. Well, Ingrid didn't. I did. Yeah. No, I couldn't. I wasn't going to flaunt it. I wasn't having sex with Roger, so I, I don't have any connection. But Herm Kogan sits down at the kitchen table with me. Now, he's got to keep an eye on, on, My uh, mom. on his mom. Mary Lou. Yeah. Mary Lou was a, a, lot, was a handful. Yes. But she was with the AA people and trying to behave. And, Indeed. Uh, but Herm is watching, but he's sitting with me. So... We're sitting there for three, four hours during this New Year's Eve party. I'm occasionally sneaking beer. Herb's not saying anything. And um, thank you. So, but I, I, I was really here. Here was a 
the magic words for me with her were this. I was saying, you know, I followed you. I, I mean, I, I've read, been reading newspapers since I've been 10 years old. The Old Daily News was my all-time favorite paper. And my two favorite writers far and away were uh, Peter Littiger and um, Mike Rickle. That's, that's all I had to say. Now I had, I had him. I had, sure. I had him. So he's telling me these great, great stories. I mean, it's just a treasure trove, and I at least was smart enough to know what to ask him. So he's just, I mean, I read his books so I could talk about that. So I'm having this great conversation. Well, shortly afterwards, he, he, he well, about a week afterwards, Ebert said, Bruce, you were talking to Hearn Kogan the whole night. What were you talking about? I said, well, we were talking about journalism, and we were talking about, well, did he, did he say anything about me? I said, yeah. He, he didn't. This is like high school. I know. Yeah, I know. He yeah, said, Roger, said. So Roger says, did he say anything about me? I said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah. He says, you're one of the two or three greatest writers ever comes to. Really? Now, her never even mentioned him. Yeah. But I tell him, and Roger, did you really say that? I mean, that means something. Herm Kogan said that. I said, absolutely. Well, one of the great things, one of the great things about, and my relationship with Robert, Roger, which was always tortured because I never stopped drinking, uh, Roger, my dad started, which Bruce will remember, a a publication called Panorama. Absolutely. At the Daily News, which was the first arts and entertainment section in any newspaper in this country, because he argued oh, wow. persuasively. When was that? Oh, it was 1963. great. Oh, it was the best. Oh, it was my the God, best. it was unbelievable. Yeah. He argued persuasively. What a time to talk about arts and culture. No kidding. Because he argued persuasively in a 40-page, single-space memo that arts and culture were part of the fabric of American life. I mean, this, I should... we got to find that. Oh, no, I know where it is. I should just put my name on it and publish it. <laughs> uh... And so, uh, in 1964, he gets a submission from a senior at the University of Illinois who happens to be the editor of the Daily Illini, <laughs> and it is a, an homage to the late poet uh, Brendan Bayon, and it is, it's Roger's first piece. He sent it to my father, Cold, and to my father's ever-loving credit, he read everything that came in. He answered phone calls, and he read this thing, and he printed it, and he paid Roger $80 for it, and then went to a guy named Dick Takeuchi at the, my father's Daily News at the Sun-Times and said, look, there is a really talented writer at the University of Illinois. Roger had come up here to study, I don't know. Oh, he's going to go to the University of Chicago. It was yeah, his intention. Bullshit up yeah. there. That's fascinating. Oh. I, well, that, that's why Roger always... Admired your well, many reasons. What happened shortly, shortly after that New Year's Eve, um, Herman died. Well, I realized after my conversation with Ebert, I'm sitting on a gold mine here. So... I see Tui, and I said, you know, Tui, I was pretty much the last person to talk to Herm Kogan before his death, and you won't believe this, but he was said Tui could have been 
the next Royko. Oh, I so was agree. It just for the I, uh, so, but, I mean, he did. He did think really? two it was great. Yeah, but he didn't oh. say it. I laid it on real thick. Yeah, okay. I mean, I put on a little bit thicker. And so then I think, so then I see Nash. I say, Nash, I, I got to tell you something. You know, Herb Kogan, now this, I, this is the, you, you can't get that more praise from anybody than Herb Kogan. Right. I say, Herb Kogan said, Nash wasn't the best writer in Chicago, but he had the most balls. He had the biggest balls of any writer that ever came to Chicago. Oh, man, that's great. Herb Kogan said, oh, I was telling everybody. <laughs> I had this He's show. twice. He's twice the man his son is. Yeah. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I mean, I had so much fun. Well, one of the things, Bruce, and, and Liz, too, is those days in the newspaper business, oh, yeah, they were filled, and I, I don't mean to make light of this, but it's not just to call them, ooh, they were filled with interesting characters. You know, my father I don't think of as a character. Lloyd Went, I don't think of as a character. I think of them as interesting people. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. That no, that nobody's going to sit around talking about her Hogan stories that much. No, no you went to him for information. Yeah. I mean, that that's what that four but. hours was. I was just, because he couldn't believe, I was precocious enough to remember back all that stuff, and that impressed him. But, that's, uh, but sure I think you could. can also say that for your generation of, no, uh, of newspaper people. For I sure for you. Well, you know, well, I have stories, and I know J. Robert Nash, but that doesn't make me someone like my dad who knew and played poker. But don't forget he was in the perfect time. I mean, that was the golden oh, age of Chicago. That, That's, I, that was that. truly the golden age I'll of Chicago journalism. I, I want to know. I had a... My daughter Fiona's 14, and we were driving home from uh, her first three months in high school. And it was a great conversation. I said, what do you think, V? What do you think? He'd go, if I walked in, they have a, like a newspaper office at this high school. I go, well, that's great. That's great. What do you what, Which high school did she go to? Jones. Oh, she did? Thank God. Wow, that's... A, uh, thank yeah. God. Uh, yes. It's a public school. Right thank in God. the middle of the loop. I mean, right Thank God. South Loop. And so we're driving home, and I said... I, what did you think of the newspaper office? I'd seen it, and it's really nice. She goes, Dad, don't be mad at me. And I could never and have never been mad at her. She says, can I ask you a question? I go, sure, honey. Do you think there'll still be newspapers when I graduate from college? And I like... What's the question? I drove directly into a light pole and tried to kill myself. Uh, uh and I said, well, honey, I, I don't know if there'll be newspapers. There, there, I, I think there will be. But there will always be journalism. And she says, well, like, would you be mad if I explored something else? And I go, oh, my God, no. I would be so thrilled. You can't have this. Like, does she think that she's, like, this is her path because of you and your, and your dad and her grandfather? I don't know. I mean, she doesn't know. I mean, when you say to a kid who's 14, hey, your great-grandfather used to run a newsstand, they're likely to say, uh, what? What's a newsstand? Yeah. You know, there are like three left in well, Chicago. Is, is she still in high school or is she in college? She owned, who, Fiona? Yeah. 
<laughs> she just, he just started said, high school. He oh, just started. oh no, she's three oh. weeks into she's oh, she three just, weeks just, into high school. Oh, well, you're, oh, you're I told her. Well, you know what I should have done, Bruce. God damn it, is say you should be a beer historian. <laughs> That's the career. <laughs> yeah. Well, study archaeology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're looking for a money career, that <laughs> oh, yeah. would be. I'm rolling in the dough, everyone. Let me tell you. Uh, does, does she still live in Hyde Park? Or yeah. Where, where, what street? Uh, Jackson Towers at 56 and Everett. Oh, okay. I want to know, I want to go back to your dad and the Marines. Sure. So he starts fighting the Nazis, which, by the way, what year he is He never this? fought so the Nazis. What's, what's, what, he, uh, has he married your mother and he has you guys already? Oh, right? my God. He never even, my mother was a child then. Okay, so I'm uh, trying to get a timeline here. Okay. He uh, enlisted in the Marines in 1942. He went to Paris Island. And there is an amazing page. I should have brought it. I would have loved. I love doing dramatic. Jordan, I love doing dramatic reads, but I can't do it now. There is a couple pages in Sud Circles, The Good War, where my father describes his enlisting and going to Paris Island and having a drill sergeant at Paris Island say, say to him, my father's a young, relatively young, he's in his late 20s, and most of the kids at Paris Island are, you know, 17, 18 years old, who are going to, and the guy says to my dad, he goes, I know you're a Jew, but you look like a tough motherfucker to me. (laughs) Oh, it's an amazing couple of pages. I'm going to make you a drink. And the guy was drunk when he said he's holding a beer, and my father described it really well. You look like you're going to be a tough son of a bitch. I'm, and my father knows full well that he's going to be a war correspondent. But he wound up in Iwo Jima, uh, and he was a war correspondent. And he wound up for eight months after being uh, seriously injured in a Chinese uh, hospital. And then he came back. And he and I, and I, I tried my damnedest to talk to him about it. And much like you always hear, I always hear, and I've known a lot of people who went to Vietnam that they don't like to talk about it. The real, the guys that did the real stuff. Now, the ones that talk about it are the bullshitters that weren't no involved. Because my uh, uncle was on the Normandy landing and would not even talk to his best friends exactly in the service. Right. He wouldn't talk. He refused to discuss it. Same here. So um, same here. I would Bruce. love to know the demographics of uh, how many Jews. Served in the Marines. Period. Well, one, of, one of whom did, you know. Another yeah, guy, no, but I wonder how many. Another guy who did, Abe Maravitz, the famous, oh, yes. the famous yes. judge. I mean, oh, he very there famous. Were, there were at that the time Maravitz a lot boys. of, a lot of that. Yeah, but first, he was a tough West Side Jew. There was a bunch of I tough know. West Side Jews. Sam, Herman Cogan may not have been a tough, humble part Jew, but he went to <laughs> fucking fight. Well, he got and, in the Marines. That had to be. Would have been easy. Sure, he was going through Paris Island. I couldn't believe me. <laughs> yeah, believe me, I couldn't I, either. I would even think about it. I, I would just go to Paris Island. I couldn't take. I would the be L incontinent. And I wouldn't be able to serve. That's all. It would have been we, simple. You and I. I I'm, I'm going to say this with my all, nickname in the service would have been diapers. <laughs> I'm going to say this with all the deep affection I Huggies. have for you. If you and I had been World War II kids. No matter where we were sent, you and I both would have started sobbing 
oh. on some field. I would have said, if I had a big camp show, we'd give the name, name rank and the exact I'm position sick. of my uh, I can't do my this. Troops. My foot hurts. Yeah, yeah. I'm scared. All I'm right, frightened. so... Herm comes back. I'm sorry, Liz. No, I'm, I keep, ba- I'm I keep, I keep by screwing stuff. up keep your going. interview. No, keep he going. comes back. He comes back. He, he he goes back to the Tribune for a short time, and then he goes to the Sun Times, and that's when he and Lloyd wrote the uh, the history of Marshall Fields, and he and and Marshall the third became incredible friends. Did he? Did, was he always interested in history? Oh my God! Absolutely, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the seed of that was. I think. I think there's something endemic and uh, attractive about first-generation Americans. Some, who feel okay. Wow, my parents were from uh, Minsk, Russia, and now I'm here. Yeah. I need to know about this place. Sure. I think that was what it was for him. It was a little bit about uh, self exploration. He, he, he was identity. a very he was a he's just a very intellectual guy. I mean, if you talk to like, yeah, he wouldn't be a character like Royko or one of those guys. He's an intellectual. I mean, that's how I. I yeah. That's how no, I, I agree. I know. Evaluate. So, it was there a certain story or certain incident or certain something that really sort of took your dad from place, you know, A to point B that really kind of like made him this iconic figure or was it so it's, you know, just he's just like getting story after story after story and eventually he just becomes this guy. I'm not sure that's a really, really I, I'll tell you what I think. I think he was just question. such a smart, he had integrity, talent, smart, and all the guys knew it. See, I mean, that's the one thing about the the, the, the journalist. Now, I came on the scene just when these guys these were old, mean, drunk guys for the right. most part. But I mean, I was smart enough. To, I'd read them when I was a kid. I knew, I knew who the good ones were, and I paid attention. And uh, they simply respected the guy. I mean, yeah. it was. Um, uh, I mean, he's certainly in the pantheon. Oh, absolutely! You know? I mean, those the old timers with the old timers. It was absolutely, uh, yeah, nothing but respect. I mean, you you don't get res- you earn respect. I mean, Jim Hogue can come in and want to hire a bunch of little preppy boys from out e- east to become the new you know, replacements to Mike Royko, but it's not going to work. Not and in Chicago, not with those guys. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a generation between us here, and what. Like my first encounter with Herman <coughs> Kogan was not even newspapers. It was his, he was a author of Chicago history. You know, like that's my that's how I knew him at first. And I started reading all this stuff, and I wanted to learn a little bit more. And then I start, you know, obviously, I knew who Rick was. And so it was this weird situation where all of these like all of these worlds were colliding at once, right? Understanding who Herman Kogan was as an author, and then understanding his place in uh, journalism history, and then obviously. Your dad. It's a a weird thing. And Studs, Turco, before he died, used to talk about this kind of collective uh, forgetfulness. He used to call it this collective Alzheimer's. That people do not give a shit about what became before. 
which is really... I don't understand Which is that. one, I know you don't, Liz, but you are a, 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 a determined, passionate historian, as is Bruce. And there are people sitting around, and we know this, the three of us are not unsophisticated. We know that there are people sitting across there, or sitting across there, talking about what the new hip restaurant is, rather than, God, do you remember... Why do you think people voted for Richard J. Daly? You know, this is the day we're taping this, the day before an election. And there are not people sitting in taverns talking about politics. No, they're watching the the, the 25 TV screens and looking at their iPhones. That is exactly right. And And I... I mean, there are fortunately people interested, but yeah, it's... I mean, look at... I remember somebody went and did a little survey with Major League Baseball players. Half the black players didn't know who Jackie Robinson was. That's right. No, I mean, are you what? kidding? No, no. They're like, yeah, I've no. heard of him. No, oh no, it was unbelievable. I oh, remember yeah. that too. <laughs> I didn't know who Jackie yeah. Robinson is. Yeah. So, I mean, so. Okay, speaking. And see, it would be like, really? This is why you're making twenty-five million. Because Jackie Robinson, idiot. Thank you. Yes, that's speaking right. of politics. Yes. And speaking of, uh, you guys are telling stories about Patty Bowler. Yes. And speaking about your dad writing about Lords of the Levee and Hinky Dink Kenna. Yes. In dear. your opinion, Rick, as a historian, as a journalist, who do you think our most corrupt alderman ever was? Oh, that's so tough. Ever. Ever. Ever? We were talking about this last podcast, and I really wanted to get your opinion. Well, I, having had a, a, such a personal relationship with him, I think I think Patty is. Yeah, but the I most don't think Patty ever made the money Vadroliak did. You know, if you just look in turn, Patty was pure larceny. Everything about him was stealing. Uh, by the way, there's an interesting story why he why the alehouse never got fucked around by the by had to make payoffs. Paddy, one I got to meet know one of his lieutenants, and he said he used to come down and get drunk here, with the old alehouse. Well, that's what and the he, and, and he would say. Did. He said, I said, well, what the, how come you guys never come down and try to shake shake the, the alehouse? Oh, Paddy says, no, there's too many reporters. There's too many reporters. He doesn't want that kind of shit. So it, it was hands off, simply because of all the newspaper people. But you have to realize one of the great things about Paddy Bowler. Uh, and I, I use the word great uh, advisedly. <laughs> is Penny Bowler was the alderman of the 43rd Ward when Second City founded itself in the 43rd Ward. Right? Uh, close, it doesn't matter. Close enough. Yes, 59. I like, I like timelines. You're right. You're right, because you are an artful historian. Uh, When the Earl of Old Town decided to have folk music, when Well Street... Big John's, all that. ...loaded. Oh, yeah, no, this... You think you can get a liquor license without talking to the aldermen? Oh, yeah. You cannot. Uh, And also when, uh, you know, the the first Old Town School of Folk Music was just... Ooh, they're going to sell their Armitage Avenue place. The Old Town School of Folk Music started on North Avenue. Yeah, right. They used to come in here with their guitars after class. Yeah. No, Patty, I mean, he was... I mean, yeah, he he was a... He he just 
felt you should give money. That's all. By the uh, way, so yes, what's our, wrong with our, that? Our, you want to open a business in Where, my city? What, what, what was Rico's uh, motto that in Latin? Where's mine? Ubi's mea. Yeah. <laughs> Ubi, That's Ubi. how I was like, where's mine? It's That's the all. only Latin phrase I know. Oh, yeah. Ubi es mea. Where no, is No, you don't my... know. That's Chicago's motto. Yeah. Uh, what's the, what's the uh, Semper Ubi, Semper Ubi? Herbs and Hortos. The real motto is Herbs and Hortos, city in a garden. I, think, I feel like when I was like 12, I learned always wear underwear in Latin. Semper Ubi, Semper, Semper Ubi, Sabubi. What does always, that mean? Always wear underwear. <laughs> oh, well, that's nonsense. Who cares about that? Oh, that, yeah. That cannot but so is wears mine. Liz Garibay, that cannot make you any money. No, none, sure. zero. Herbs and ordo. Always, forever, herbs and ordo. Um, do, so maybe you guys know, because I certainly don't know. Are there other cities that have, that were aldermen are this powerful? Well, no, you know what? The, you know what? The, the, like San Francisco. <laughs> Has at large supervisors, so they got no clout. What they're, a horrible they're, name! They're, they're <laughs> what a horrible name so, for people. When you who give have people kind of now, Chicago could easily get could get rid of half the wards and save a lot of money, but then the aldermen would lose; those guys would lose their juice in certain neighborhoods. So, um, I mean, there's places that certainly is corrupt: New Orleans, New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty. Yeah, of Yeah, sure. But um, I just feel like we we had it down to an art. Yeah. Okay, old man Daly, old man Daly, uh, really, he perfected it. I mean, it was an art form. Stealing, stealing, corruption was an art form. And he figured if everybody worked for you, they'll vote for you. So everybody in the city okay, worked well, for you. Okay, we'll stay along those lines, Rick, as a historian and a journalist. Yes. yes who sir. do you think our best mayor ever was? Well, that's easy. The best. Yeah. Mayor. That's easy for me, Dan. Boy, that's a really Liz. Harold, uh, Harold. This is what, yeah. Well, see, I, he, he can't say he can't say what a piece of shit all the other ones. Now, are. I will tell you potentially the greatest mayor in Chicago was Harold Washington. Tell but me why he died. He died because I think the the possibilities and the dreams inherent in this guy were. Unlimited. Harold was a flawed guy. He knew Harold pretty well. I mean, to survive here, he had to be. But he was smart. I mean, this guy was really smart, and he was an intellectual. He read. He was articulate. I remember getting almost getting a fist fight with Jimmy Pearsall in the press box up at Payne Park in Sarasota. Well, of course you did. When I said, the first English-speaking mayor of my lifetime, we were arguing, you know, I mean, we had the dem these dems those. <laughs> Jane Burke hardly burned to hardly utter a, a complete sentence. No, they were a string of morons. But Harold genuinely liked people. He genuinely cared. He was smart. And and he was fucked because to get elected, he had to have the Renault Robinsons and all these people around yeah. him. And then you have to find jobs for him. This was a, I mean, Jane Byrne came in with a clean slate. She could have had nothing but college professors advising her. She turned to Charlie Swibel, Vidroliak. I mean, Jay McMullen, her husband. Oh, well, you uh, could tell some. Now, there I, are some stories uh, you could. Why don't you write that book? <laughs> well, I, I'm going to write a book about this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to write a book. <laughs> because I am the official. You guys know it is such a joy to be with the two of you because I so adore you guys in, in the most natural, normal way. 
And this podcast is fabulous. I, you people well, listen. We got to have him back. I know. I can't believe you find we this just, interesting. We just scratched the oh, surface. Oh, I will never fucking come back to this oh, fucking Oh, you should come back. I think we, I've heard that I before. I may do Howard Stern. When J. Robert Nash has a podcast, <laughs> I will be on that show. I'm going to find him. Right. Well, I mean. Good luck. Yeah. You're not half the man Bruce Elliott is. We literally, I had like seven things on my list to talk to Rick about, and guess what? We talked about one, and that was his dad. Hey, honey, I, I adore being with you guys. I adore you to the core of my existence, and you know that. Well, the and I am is indeed your official biographer. <laughs> You know that. You, I, I, what have you, you guys ever true. done that I haven't written about? It's that's crazy. It, yeah, that's 100% true. Fortunately, there's a few things he hasn't written about me. Yet. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's because he likes you. Statue of, that's statue of, you. I, I statue of li- yeah, limitations. because he likes you. <laughs> yes, I do edit myself. It has been a joy, you guys. It um, okay, so Rick, joy. We, we definitely need to have you back. Will you come back? I will come back here with Jim Toohey and J. Robert Nash and the ghost of Mike Royko. Yeah, because I need to ask you more about you, and I I'm have sorry, all kinds. I'm sorry if I ignored any of your questions. No, you didn't. You went into you went down paths I wanted. I have such fun with you guys. What I know, and this is this is people always ask me about uh, you know the relationship I have with Bruce and. Oh, we don't want to. We don't want to get into that. But That's, literally, it what is the what, what what people hear on this podcast is truly the way we are just in real life. It is. And so, same no, with you. It is. It is. Like when we sit around and drink you guys and are do stuff. Who you are, and that. No, I'm a perfect gentleman on the podcast. Whatever. <laughs> but same with you, Rick. Is that when we hang out, this is the way it is. We well, start talking about history. We start oh, talking no, about. This is, oh, this is how we are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. this is how we talk. So we're definitely going to have you back. Probably really soon, actually. I'd be, I'd be flattered. Um, so I'll get your schedule, because I know you're a busy fella. Don't worry. Don't worry. I will. The next time I write about the two of you, then have me back. <laughs> well, uh, I write about that. you guys. I, I literally am tomorrow when I go to work and the look up. Wow, Rick Hogan and Bruselli? Well, Thursday. It'll come out Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Every book of our, our uh, executive producer. Thursday. 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 Jordan. This Thursday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in two days? Mm-hmm. Oh, post-election? Yeah. Post-election. So I could have committed suicide by then, right? <laughs> okay, I get it. We I all get, might, yeah. yes. Or we probably <laughs> yeah. want to take a lot of Republicans. Yeah, well, God, that show will be so cool. It'll be like, oh, my God, the Republicans won Congress back. And we're so sorry that the three guests of this show are all dead now. <laughs> it would be sad. I'm confident. It would be I'm very, very everybody. sad. But I'll tell you who's alive. That J. Robert Nash. J. Robert, J. Robert Nash. Always, always. I'm going to get you guys. That's J- why I should have a podcast. I'm going to get you guys J. Robert Nash t-shirts. Well, um, there are no such things. But well, no, I don't, well, I can make it. Well, if you can get Jay to come sit here with me, Bruce, and you for a podcast, let's try to do this. I'm, I'm going to try. I, we're gonna, I'll we're, try. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. It's going to happen. It's going to hey, happen. Hey, Jay, forgive and forget. He hates you? 
Well, he's an old man. Oh, he's, he's, what did you do to him? He's unpredictable. If you, I read he's unpredictable. When he, when he said when he uh, said that kind of threatening thing to Roger, Roger said to me, "I said, don't worry, Roger, I'll take care of it." I wrote Lord. twenty-five consecutive blogs, like tearing him up. Yeah. Jubilee. Yeah. Yeah. Jubilee all, blogs. Wait. Yeah. We must say this. They're I, great I, blogs. I really want to say this. For all we know. Jay Robernash does have a podcast. Oh. I think we know. I really think I, 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 I'm in the know enough. No. Um, Bloodletters and bad men. He should have Welcome. I will tell you now. Welcome to Bloodletters and bad men. There's a great story uh, about when, when Tui punched him in the face. And my first story is about the great, great Bruce Elliott. Who has stabbed and killed a million women across the planet? Never got caught. And Never uh, got caught. <laughs> Na- Nash, uh, Tui punched Nash in the face two nights before he was going to go on the Johnny Carson show. Oh, it was classic. Wow. He had a huge shiner. It was great. Oh, boy. There's all kinds of stories. You're all well, right. Rick, good? thank you so much oh for joining God, us. Oh, my God, you guys. Thank you, Rick. I adore you guys, and well, you both know that. And we love coming we on love your you. show. We love you. Yes, we do. We, I love coming on your show. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Love it. Especially your swing. I really kids. am pissed at WBEZ. Fuck you guys. Well, you know, they had a little shake-up. I love that They show. had a little shake-up in, uh, in leadership over there, so I'm hoping the... Well, if they got smart, get smart, get Kogan back. I, I concur 1,000%. Assholes. You're really right. You're I really must right. tell you, this is the only radio I'm ever doing for the rest of my life. Oh. <laughs> I think for the right amount of money. Why would Mar- I want to be The right money, I think we can get him back in. Um, again, Rick, thank you. You're going to come back so, so, so soon. Uh, anytime. I love chatting Thank with you. you guys. Love I adore you. you guys. Uh, Rock and Roll Ruth, thank you, as always. Thank you, Jordan. It's thank nice to you. meet Jordan. you. Jordan. Great job. Um, before we sign off, uh, I want to do a quick plug for the fact that the Chicago Bruseum exhibition is open at the Field Museum, and finally. Can you, can you get my stepson who's in town a pass to go see it? When is he leaving? He's leaving on Thursday. Oh, yeah, we can get, make you down there. Okay. Uh, yeah, Brewing Up Chicago, How Beer Transformed a City is open at the Field Museum. You have plenty of time to go see it because it's up through January 2020. Um, it tells about the immigrant story in Chicago and how that immigrant community built not only the city, but the brewing industry. So please go see it. Uh, it's a great show. We'll talk more about that down the line. Yes, we will. Future podcasts. Uh, thanks again, Rick, Jordan, and Ruth. Fun, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, say goodnight, genius. Good night, genius. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll catch you next time. All right. Great time.